Welcome to Afterthoughts, everybody. This is our recommend or refute episode. We have a special guest I want to just call out right now. He's returning to us after talking about Toy Story 4. It's my brother, Mark Garcia. Hey, John. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, happy to have you on. And uh, yeah, I am your host, John Garcia. And joining me as always, the wonderful and always chipper. Oh, wow. Uh, Michael Dixon, I don't know that I would ever use the word chipper to describe me. That's why I used it. And yeah. really, it's more of a golfing term, in my opinion. Oh. I think that you're always chipping, you know, right in Birdie, Eagle, Mario Golf. I thought it was a Fargo okay. reference with like a wood chipper or oh, something well, like that. he is eviscerating <laughs> a lot did, of the movies that public I did one love. time shove Steve Buscemi into a wood chipper. <laughs> uh, he came out okay on the other side. Yeah, it was cool. <laughs> we, I think we could still put the gun back in. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Very excited to have Mark back with us on this episode. Uh, One of our most esteemed guests. (laughs) And I'm very excited uh, to hear what y'all have because I'm I'm pretty sure, Dixon, that uh, your chipperness is going to come in handy. You're going to really chip something in uh, you know, I, I don't I know. may push it through the put chipper. something through a wood chipper. There you go. Yeah. Through the movie chipper, mm-hmm. as it were. Uh, but yeah, we, we, we'll get started uh, with with Mark. You're our guest. I feel like you should go first. Uh, okay. What do you got for us? Well, um, our son has been subjecting us to the Illumination production movie oh, no. Sing. Um, no, not our son, your son. Yeah, I just want to I, I, when myself. I say our, <laughs> yes, when, when I say it's, our, it's my and Mark's. Son. Yeah, there you go. Me and Dixon, <laughs> yeah. we had uh-huh. a son. Um, he doesn't take after either of us. Doesn't and, watch Taxi Driver. Yeah, at exactly. All. Don't ask how it happens. <laughs> he just kind of showed up one day. Uh, yeah, pretty yeah. much, just on the doorstep and mm-hmm. said, "Just show me shitty movies, and that's what I want." No, um, <laughs> no, my 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 wife's son uh, Jackson has been like all about watching. Um, uh, several Illumination productions. He's been. Does he really know into- that they're by the same company, or is it just like that? Seems what seems to draw him in. He he knows they're by the same company, but that's not really what draws him in. He got super if he's into got brand loyalty at that age. That's bad. Yeah, I know. That's a bad sign. God, I know. <laughs> um, you know, he he saw the uh, Illumination title card for the Super Mario Brothers movie, and he watched that movie religiously for about three weeks. Um, it was on mm. repeat, like in the theaters. No, no, we. Is it we, streaming uh, now? It is. Yeah. Okay. The second it came out um, to stream, we picked it up. Uh, I erroneously picked it up thinking, oh, it's probably, you know, he's going to watch it one time and it'll be done, whatever. Oh, and uh, yeah, huge mistake. In fact, all the other kids too love the the Peaches song in it. So it's like anytime he has friends over, they're watching it. But oh, no. I digress. He, you know, I yeah, made, stop letting him have friends. I know <laughs> <laughs> I made the mistake of being like, hey, you watch this movie. I was going through a bunch of kids movies and I was like, oh, I remember watching Sing. My theater's been going through some pretty rough times lately. So, what do I do? Quit? No. My next show is gonna be, drum roll please, a singing competition. Just think, your neighbor, the the, the grocery store manager, that, that chicken, right there. Real talent from real life. Norman, would you please tell them what a good singer I am? Oh yeah, you were great, honey. By the way, the bathroom sink is blocked again. I'm here to win. That prize, it's mine. Everyone in the city gets a shot at being a star on my stage. Uh, it was one of the, it was actually the last movie that I saw in the theater with um, John and my sister. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I'm going to watch this movie again um, and I'll watch it with Jackson and we watched it. And I was like, OK, uh, didn't really care for that movie. Uh, it's got Matthew McConaughey. Oh, that's, it has like a nostalgic quality for you. And then you watch it again. And you're like, oh, yeah. yeah. A standalone, it's, like it's removing upsetting. myself. And, and you know, that, that's a recent thing for me where I've been trying to distance myself from the nostalgia of things and actually mm-hmm. try new things and explore new things. And so it was very disheartening where I was like, I have these fond memories of being in the theater with specific people watching this movie and now watching it. It's just this just black hole. Like, I guess. Uh, while we were watching this as well, like in the evenings after the kids went to bed, my wife and I were rewatching Game of Thrones and there's a sequence where a character called the mountain gouges someone's eyes out. And uh-huh. I wanted him to do the same thing to my ears after being subjected to this movie. <laughs> oh, Again, no. it's one of the movies and I have huge issues with movies that are similar to this, where the reason people really like it 
is because of the soundtrack. Carpool it, karaoke. Yep, exactly. It is literally carpool karaoke. Yeah. Um, it, Jukebox musicals, I yep. believe they're yep. called. Yep. Pretty much um, Across the Universe is another example of that. Mm-hmm. Beatles-centric where, you know, just the storylines all over the place. If it's the Beatles, at least it's the Beatles, I guess. Yeah, yeah. that's like the takeaway. Uh-huh. And the same is true with, uh, like, a lot of people really like Garden State. I personally did not. Yeah. Um, I've, I've never seen that. I've heard terrible things yes but, yeah. it, it was really really hot when it first came out and anytime i would ask people what do you love about it it was always oh the soundtrack is so good and i'm like that's not reason to like a movie um my big issues with sing if you haven't seen it it's got um anthropomorphic animals um all singing pop songs um there's katie perry song taylor swift song john it's like uh, american john, idol but with uh, animals fictionalized right exactly yeah. and and you know I don't mind the usage of anthropomorphic animals. I feel like Zootopia, while not a perfect um, animated film by any means, chose to use animals to demonstrate microaggressions and cultural differences that exist and actually brought on a lot of really interesting points societally that you could talk about from the point that bunny rabbits behave this way versus predator animals that behave this way and they are attempting to coexist with each other and there's discrimination and everything. There's no reason why any of the the animals were chosen for like the roles that they play, the songs they sing, nothing like you could just as easily have done people in these places that were computer generated. They would have probably looked creepy, but I think (laughs) they did the animals because they knew kids will be attracted to watching animals behave in this manner. And then the parents and the kids are going to get tied into the songs. Um, the, The plot is just wafer thin. Uh, it, it doesn't offer a whole lot. Um, and then the general payoff, it, it's one of those movies too. Again, it tries to tie everything into a neat little package. Any character that has like a, a any kind of arc where they're behaving badly or whatever, almost immediately turns face and is like, oh, yep. I learned a lesson. And it's just, it's completely devoid of any real meaning. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I, I equivocate it to the sequence in South Park when Stan starts trying to listen to tween music and it just sounds like people shitting in his ears. Yeah. That's basically what this movie was for me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, not a fan. Uh, don't know, John, I know you were subjected to a small piece oh, no, of I it. I remember the whole movie from us watching it in theaters because <laughs> I used to work in the theater. We sat in and watched it uh, at and uh, yeah, the movie's not good. Um, I'm not a huge fan either of musical movies or the karaoke style stuff like. I haven't really watched Mamma Mia. It's partly because I'm not a big ABBA fan, but uh, I know a lot of people who fucking love that shit. Uh, Mark, I told you if I ever made my own movie that had to be that kind of thing, I try to do a bloodhound gang version of like a Mamma Mia thing. (laughs) And honestly, I think that that's a big challenge because that music has a different edge to it than the mass appeal of these pop songs and everything else. Um, Yeah, it's weird because when I think about the character designs that are chosen, there are some things that are utilized okay, I would say, for the animal. Like Seth MacFarlane plays a mouse who does lounge singing and he owes money to the mob, usual thing, you know. That sounds very Um, Seth MacFarlane. Very like Frank Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sinatra-ish. Yep, Rat Pack kind of. He's very just obsessed with that. Yeah, Mouse Pack. There you go. Uh, (laughs) And they had a whole scene where he like flies on the microphone and you can't do that with a bigger animal. So that's like the only thing I can think of though that has the animal's actual proportions brought into respect. Like there's a giant uh, ape, a gorilla that just plays on piano. And I don't think he does anything that you would think a gorilla does uh, that really exemplifies that animal, a porcupine that rocks out too hard and the quills go everywhere. And even that is like, you could do so many other things like, why not have, you know, some of the, one of the stage. Okay. I'm just writing a treatment for it right now in front of you, Mark. Mm-hmm. Um, the porcupine's rocking out on stage to the Taylor Swift song or whatever the fuck it is. And then a sandbag, Hey, somebody trips a rope and a sandbag comes down and it sticks to her back. And then they try to pick it back up. And she's suddenly up there rocking and like the central, like at that point, okay, you're sort of playing with those elements. Yeah. But yeah, the entire movie, I just remember it being like, we're going to get you on stage and we're going to, the big dance is coming up. It's like electric boogaloo or some shit. Yep. Uh, not the civil war one, the, uh, the fucking actual Canon film. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, <laughs> just don't do anything with those, th- that actual animation aspect. And we just, in the previous episode talking about Pixar and how they'll use everything that is part of the animal that is their like creation. They really just go hard into the details. 
And this one is mass manufactured to actually manipulate children, have them come in and enjoy it, get a dopamine rush, leave and think nothing after and have no yeah. critical thought about it. Yeah. And, and some of the song choices, too, are just god awful for the character arcs that they're trying to exemplify. There is there's one character. First and foremost, they use the song for her arc. Um, she's a timid elephant who has a beautiful singing voice, but anytime she gets on stage, she gets stage fright. Mm. And so they, of course, chose to do a rendition of the song Hallelujah for her in the middle of the movie, um, because Hallelujah is just one of those songs that uh, Zack Snyder and uh, DreamWorks yeah. have chosen yes, to. Of course. It, it, it is one of those that is commonly overused, I think, yeah. in a way to try and show this person's a really good singer and this is a really important scene. You should watch it. And then the song that they chose for her at the very end of the movie, like the penultimate sequence, it was just it was a very, very poor choice. Um, it was Which, Don't You Worry About a Thing, I think, was the song oh, they showed. Don't Worry a About a Thing? Yeah. 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 Said, yeah. Uh, yeah, and it very much reminded me, I'm going to go off on a brief tangent here and then I'll uh, relinquish sure. my time. Um, uh, uh, my wife drugged me to see burlesque in Your theaters. Your wife drugged you? Yes, she drugged me wow. and drugged me. To, no, <laughs> she she drugged me to see burlesque. Um, I have that she, on DVD. Yeah, she, she wanted to see it and uh, <laughs> no. we, we went and saw it and, and within the first two minutes she leaned over to me and kissed me on the cheek and she's like I'm so sorry this movie's gonna be god awful <laughs> <laughs> and that movie there is a character who is just he views Christina Aguilera as his muse and he says that he is just he's writing this magnum opus throughout the entire movie and she's going to be able to dance to it eventually. And that magnum opus is show me how you burlesque. And it is just this just mm. it's a jarring title. kind of like expose at the very end where you're like that's your fucking magnum opus like you know jesus christ and so i felt kind of the same way with some of the payoffs for the characters like seth mcfarland's of course singing my way like that that obviously fit his character pretty well um and i would argue too that johnny the gorilla singing um the elton john (laughs) elton john's uh still standing like it's a great cover great rendition of it does not make the movie great at all um so yeah just poor song choices um just razor thin character development in any way shape or form forgettable characters you know nothing that's going to be like oh you know either we can make a toy line of these characters that kids would want to buy or there's going to be kids in 20 years that are like man i really remember seeing and this character was the one that really resonated with me because x y or z yeah none of that none of those things yeah i would think that the elephant would sing something about self-assertion not so much a hallelujah or uh, Mm -hmm. whatever the other song was i can't even remember now don't you worry about it don't you worry about a thing yeah i would I wouldn't remember singing that, but like Katy Perry's roar, I'm sure was like out by then or yep. even like Aretha Franklin's are like respect. Like th- that's something, uh-huh. you know, Hey, you know, you're a meek character, go on up and do that. But that's a testament to the fact that somebody in data analytics and somebody in the production company was like, we just want these songs. Yep. And now you just take those songs. Mm-hmm. And these make are the a movie. ones that we have the rights to, and you're yep. going to figure out how to lace them into this movie. Pretty yeah, much. You contrast that with like any kind of, of course I'm going to take it hard here. Not kids are watching Tarantino, but uh, Tarantino has needle drops and like those soundtracks are great. And the movie is also great because mm-hmm. the needle drops actually accent parts of the movie. Um, or the songs, you know, fuel pieces of it. And it makes sense, but it's just like, that's annoying. Yeah. And I remember watching that and being like, Matthew McConaughey, he's a koala. Oh, he's struggling in debt. Like this, all this other shit that's going on behind the scenes. Like Johnny, the gorilla's father is locked up in a penitentiary. There's so much you could do emotionally about an estranged son and his father who is in prison for crimes and whatever. And it's just like, nah, they just, his dad breaks out of jail and meets Johnny, the gorilla and they have a happy ending. And, apparently he doesn't go back to jail. I don't think or he does. does. He oh. does. But it's, it's one of those things where it's like, it, it is like the thinnest level yep. of effort to, to give any kind of resolution. Like, to I that. came out just to see you perform and I'm going back in to serve my time because I'm now a noble character. Yeah. Yeah. The, you, you know, seeing you perform was the thing that made me change my ways, even though for X number of years, I haven't given a shit. I always dreamed of being a mobster. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> so, Ever since I was a kid, I always wanted to be a gangster. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, So looking at the IMDb page on this movie, the cast is fucking stacked. Yeah. Uh, Aside from the aforementioned Seth MacFarlane, who you keep bringing up, it appears to actually be good. Um, (laughs) 
Matthew McConaughey, Reese Witherspoon, Scarlett Johansson, John C. Riley, Taryn Edgerton, Jennifer Hudson, uh, Nick Kroll, uh, Jay Farrow, Nick Offerman, uh, fucking Wes Anderson is credited as additional voices. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if Wes Anderson has done any other voice work. Um, I don't know who they play because their character names do not tie into the animals at right. all. Yep. So I have no idea who these people are. But like, are is there anything redeeming about all of these incredible actors coming together into this movie? Are there any like actors that actually stand out that you're like, Oh yeah, that person actually brought something to this movie that was interesting. Um, I would say Scarlett Johansson's character probably has, so she plays the porcupine. Okay. She originally is in a duo that is singing where her boyfriend is overly controlling. And even though she has the better voice, he wants to be the lead singer. He winds up eventually ditching her and going with, um, Another girl, Porcupine, after Matthew McConaughey's koala, chooses her as a solo act instead of the two of them to perform in this singing competition. Um, And really, the only reason I give her any kind of credit is, one, um, she actually brings a lot of like the breathlessness that Scarlett Johansson often brings to a lot of her acting pieces um, to give her character a little bit of depth in terms of the inflections that she delivers her lines with. She's got a couple of sequences where she's sad and it's kind of both funny and sad at the same time. And then she actually does her own singing towards the end of the movie, mm-hmm. which is, is respectable. I think um, do most of the actors not do their own singing. Um, I, I know that Reese Witherspoon does hers. Um, does Matthew McConaughey sing a ballad in this movie? He does not. Uh, nope. He just runs the show. Yeah. Oh, he just upsetting. runs the show. Most of them do their singing. Does Nick Offerman sing? No, Nick Offerman, is actually the husband of Reese Witherspoon. They are both okay. pigs. Um, and so he's the husband. Reese Witherspoon and Nick Kroll wind up singing a... Nick Kroll uh, yep. Briefly. It's, it's, I would equivocate it to the rock singing in Moana, where okay. it's almost sing-talk to a degree. Um, his character is very, very kind of like, not flamboyant, but over-the-top kind of pig. The typical goofy draw the kids in with him because he's so eccentric kind of pig. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so Reese Witherspoon plays a, a, a mother pig who is underappreciated by her husband and the enormous number of piglets like double digit piglets that she manages she's a stay-at-home mom and then she's very very shy about singing so it's like they have these Mm -hmm. pieces where they could really have dove in and built a lot around these characters um but the like steps they take to get them to where she's confident enough to sing and dance not really paying off. They fall back on tropes and they fall back on archetypes and they really don't do anything to give the characters more depth. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's everybody dealing with like family issues or insecurities, but Mm -hmm. they never really take that extra step to show you it. It's more like, Oh yeah, I know this character. I know what this character is about. Okay, fine. Yeah. Then you just move on. Because we got to get to the songs. Yeah. And then the animation is just, I mean, it's relatively bland. Like, there's not a whole lot to talk about. It's not like early 2000s animations. But, you know, when you're given something like what we talked about last week with Toy Story 4, I would even argue Monsters, Inc. to a degree, like, had mm. more subtle pieces of animation. Or, or John, your favorite movie, Cars, I would argue that some of the animation in that <laughs> film <laughs> is my favorite. Is, is even more... <laughs> Um, it's even more in depth, obviously, than, than what you get here. So it just feels like a collection of vignettes that are kind of just tied together to give us reason to have these different songs. And I mean, even during auditions, they even have just a multitude of animals going through a bunch of different hits. Um, an alligator singing the Humpty Dance. Um, just crank the fucking money machine. Yeah, bunny rabbits that crank are doing the, the opening to Baby Got Back. And, um, yep. and then, yeah. So it's just... There's nothing worthwhile. And obviously, like, I don't feel like the the star studded cast that's in there. It doesn't feel like they phoned it in. It just feels like they're not yeah. given a lot to work with and not a lot of space to explore. Scarlett Johansson always seems to bring her A game to everything yeah. that she does. Like, even if she's doing a shitty Marvel movie, she's yep. there and, and giving it what she's got. And it's like, I love it when she does Under the Skin or Marriage Story or something like that. But you don't, you know you don't always get those types of movies from her, but even if she's in this kind of, you know, studio direct, she always seems to be a, a standout and yeah. do a good job. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, if I were to pick other 
um, performers who did a really, really good job. Um, it, it would be, I'd be hard pressed to do so. Reese Witherspoon, lover, hater, yeah. like she, she typically tends to also be one of those who kind of brings her a game. I just don't personally feel she has a whole lot of range necessarily. Yeah. And that's my personal take on her acting. Why um, do the animals wear clothes? This is a great question. So, <laughs> so they um, found God. So, so yeah. So there yeah. was a, a snake that probably was singing some song at the beginning, and uh, it convinced yeah. you know a naked pig to eat an apple, and then well, <laughs> yeah. you know the rest that's of the story. Yeah, yeah, put on a spit roast, and and that's how you get apple smoked bacon. <laughs> um, the screenshots on IMDb: the gorilla character is wearing a leather jacket. Does that create any animosity between any of the other animals that might have had family members killed to make that item of clothing? Absolutely none. Cool. Uh, it, it, it actually is. belongs to the gang, the sharks, which go against the jets. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it uh, is. I thought you were going to make a Warriors reference, yeah, but you, yeah. you took it to West Side Story. Did not expect that <laughs> That's from you, the John. Subversion. <laughs> Yes, the Fifth Street Pimps, uh, Dixon. Is that what you're looking for? <laughs> <laughs> whatever the whatever the 1920s Yankees gang is. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah the baseball furies. Yes, uh, yeah, the, the roller skating orphans or whatever mm-hmm. the fuck they are. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, that's a, that's a refute from you, Mark. hundred percent a refute. Um, I would say if you're going to experiencing in any capacity, um, you can go on Spotify or Apple music and listen to the songs that the characters sing, which is much better time. And you don't have all the dialogue weighing you down for the extra amount of screen time. Exactly. You right. don't have to endure any of that. You can pick your favorite songs and then not have to endure any other part of the movie. Very nice. Very nice. Well, uh, Jack, if you're listening to this in the future, um, you <laughs> tormented your father. How do you feel? Uh, <laughs> Apologize to your father. God damn right. It. <laughs> right now, turn him and say, Dad, I love you. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh, well, Dixon, what do you got for us? It's a recommend, right? It's going to be, uh, no, it's not. Oh, definitely not. I'm so surprised. Uh, I'd usually try to bring good vibes to recommend or refute, but, um, uh, there are good movies that I watched this week and I thought about talking about them. Uh, but I feel like I need to warn everybody about mission colon impossible dash dead reckoning part one. (gasps) The world is changing. Truth is vanishing. War is coming. It's been a long time, friend. You've no idea the power I represent. It knows your story and how it ends. Listen to me. The world's coming after you. His fate is written. Shall we write yours too? If anything happens to them, there's no place that I won't go to kill you. That is written. Yeah. Um, So, first of all, the Mission Impossible movies, the first three movies, I think, are like kind of garbage like they're whatever they're not that great it's you know whatever stupid action movie stuff about people wearing human skin masks uh it's just kind of stupid then you get to ghost protocol rogue nation and fallout and those three movies i thought were pretty fucking great and like they're not you know they're action movies it's not like they're gonna move you to tears like toy story 4 there's not like incredible plot going on here but like This is Tom Cruise entering the phase of his career where he has decided he is no longer an actor. He is the world's greatest stuntman that has ever lived. And he's just going to fucking go hard and do a bunch of crazy shit on camera. And it's all going to be filmed. And and all the effects are going to be in in camera, practical shit. We're not going to do any of the CGI garbage. And we're going to make good action movies like only Tom Cruise can. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I thought those three movies were actually really good and they kind of kept getting progressively better as they were going and doing more absurd stunts. And so, uh, with dead reckoning part one coming out, I was excited to go see it. And, um, I watched the recent Indiana Jones movie earlier this week and that movie was fucking awful. And so I was excited to see, okay, well there's going to be a, you know, a big studio movie that should actually be good, right? I should be able to have a good time with this. Um, I went to a, so as we're recording this, the movie has not yet officially come out in theaters. Once this posts, it will 
uh, be out there. But I, I went uh, to a special fan event at the Bob Bullock IMAX theater last night with our good friend Lane, who is a, uh, you know, uh, sometimes guest on this podcast. And, uh, you know, we went uh, with a couple other people to Bob Bullock and watched this movie. And it was a very odd experience because it was a pre-screening fan event. I was like, I don't know what this means. I'll be interested to see what this is. Before the movie started, like after the trailers, they they played like special features that appeared to be like, this is going to be on the Blu-ray. And it was like about the car stunts that they did. And I was like, I haven't seen the movie yet. I have no context for this. <laughs> yeah. This is fucking weird. Can you please just play the movie? Yeah. Um, I've never watched special features before the movie before. It was very odd. Uh, so there were about 10 minutes of that. And then finally we, we got to the movie. So we're like, okay, great. I'm ready for this. Let's go. Um, I, I feel like a lot of the reason the first three Mission Impossible movies are stupid is because so much of the plot focuses on we're going to wear these masks of these other people and act like the science is good where we can just make a mask that looks like somebody else and, and put a voice chip on your throat. You talk like them and no one notices and like their their closest friends and confidants and spouses and lovers will never realize that you're not these people. And then in four through six, they kind of just stopped doing that. Like in each one, they would do a little nod to it and like a very small part that didn't really matter for the plot of the film. They would have one of those mask sequences and something that was just like, a fan service bullshit. They're just like, we know you're here because this is Mission Impossible. Now we're going to move on and Tom Cruise is going to jump out of a plane and we're just going to do all this stuff again that you're really here to see. Yep. This movie was like so much of, so much mask wearing and, and I was like, I just, I felt like we are beyond this and this isn't part of these movies anymore and they just kept doing it over and over. I got really tired of it. Um, this is one of the worst scripts I have ever seen. Um, like, wow, gonna be in competition for worst script of the year for sure. Um, I don't know if this will be nominated for the Razzie. The Razzies are stupid and they're not good at identifying the worst movies, but this is one of the worst scripts I've seen in a very long time. The villain of this movie. I'm, I'm just going into this. I don't care. Sure. I'm, I'm burning it down. <laughs> yeah, do it. Uh, the villain in this movie is an AI called the Entity. Okay. Yeah, so this is as stupid as it sounds. Um, there is just this, this AI that has gone rogue and is terrorizing the, the world, and it can only be destroyed by achieving these two pieces of a key that have to be like joined together into this crucifix-looking thing that you're able... And they, they don't even know what it... It, what the key unlocks they just know that they have to find this key and then once they get the key they can find the hole that it goes in and that will either allow them to control the entity or to destroy it and all these world powers are trying to control this ai force to rule the world with it and ethan hunt and the imf crew are trying to destroy the entity because they are the only the ones they're the only ones humble enough and smart enough to realize that no man can control this thing and it of needs to just be killed. Is it a distant relative of AIG rhythm from Space Jam Al and New Legacy? I'm sorry, Algae Rhythm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> bring up similar, Space Jam too. God damn it. Very similar plot point. Did you watch Space Jam too, Yes. Mark? Oh my fucking God. God damn it. Uh, 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 Space Jam 2 still remains the worst movie I've ever seen. <laughs> Um, I don't remember it still. Yeah, John is trying to, living in denial and trying to block this out of his memory. Um, but it, it's just like an absolutely horrible script. Like there, there's a scene where Ving Rames is sitting down with Tom Cruise. Ving Rames, this is the only thing he does anymore. He doesn't act in anything except Mission Impossible movies, but he bothers to show up, show up for these seemingly yep. not wanting to be there. And sits across from Tom Cruise. He's like, you want to find the entity? You gotta start thinking like the entity. Cold, calculating. <laughs> you gotta think rational. Like what like a computer. What's he gonna do? Like, oh my god, this is what we're doing. They throw on around the word blockchain willy-nilly. God like clearly they don't know oh. what it means at all. And it's oh my it's just so fucking stupid. The the it's just oh my god. Like I can't express how dumb it is. Like you have to go see it in order to realize how stupid this entire thing is. And like it's Dead Reckoning Part One, right? And like I hate this recent trend of like 
we're doing a movie yep. and it's part one. You got to come back next year for part or two or three years from now for part two. Yep. I don't like it. Uh, old man yells at cloud. Um, like, you know, they, at least with this one, they, they like had the balls to tell you that it was part one at the start, which I guess I kind of appreciate, but I still don't like the fact that, that they're doing this, but like, uh, you know, Dune and Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse and like a lot of these movies now are like, you know, oh, we're just doing half a movie fast X and it's just going to end and that's it. And you just have to come back for the next one. And that's, that's kind of what this one does. Uh, you know, granted it tells you that's what it's going to do because it's called part one, but it's still unsatisfying as it goes on. Um, God, it's just so, it's so fucking stupid. The, the, the whole thing is just like a fetch quest. The entire movie is just, we have to find both halves of this key and like, Oh, someone else gets this half of the key, so we have to go find them. And oh, they lost the key. We have to go over here. The entire it's like two and a half hours of just we have to find both halves of this key. They just copied the screenplay from Rise of Skywalker and they moved on. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's just that. And so like I just got so bored. Like, there's no reason. Like, I don't know what happens in Dead Reckoning Part Two, but there's no reason that Dead Reckoning Part One couldn't have been 30 minutes long. Yeah. And they could have just then had the rest of the movie. But there's like, what if we do a fetch quest for two and a half hours? and we just keep doing stupid shit and a bunch of mask scenes where everyone disguises other pieces of shit and <laughs> it's just so it's, it's so goddamn dumb so is there any like visual payoff for you having to endure this Dixon so like every Mission Impossible movie since the fourth one they've had these epic stunt sequences and like okay that's why I'm here here's what I want to see and like if you've seen any trailers for this movie there's like Tom Cruise turning his motorcycle toward the face of a mountain and like shooting off of it and jumping off into nothing. And like, I'm like, okay, let's do this. We're getting toward the end of the movie. He has to get onto a train where the villain is with the key and he's on a motorcycle in the mountains and he's like, fuck it. And he just like zooms off this mountain and shoots off and, and is like flying like off with nothing but a parachute. And he's like worried that he's going to hit the mountain. He's also, and it's like, it should have been really good, but they kept fucking cutting away to the oh. action that was happening on the train. No. And I'm like, I'm here for the stunts. That's why I can't. That's why everyone is here to see this movie is to see Tom Cruise do the greatest stunt that's ever been done. That's every movie, that, every Mission Impossible movie. That's why we come. And it's like he, he jumps off the cliff and he's soaring and then they cut to the train and see the what's going on there and then they cut back to him like flying, flying down, down the mountain just let it be and they seamless. cut back to the train i'm like no 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 show me what happens on the train early i don't care if the timing yep. doesn't match show yeah. me what happens on the train and then show me in as few cuts as possible so i can actually feel the gravity and the reality of this stunt tom cruise flying off the mountain and soaring down and all this stuff and it was just it was edited so horribly that yeah. it took away from the awe and the the glory of this incredible feat that i was seeing on film and i was just like I, I feel like it's just undercutting itself at, at every turn. Yeah, and yeah. I was just so mad at the movie for doing that. Um, it was just it was like, and that was, there weren't, it wasn't like, like, I feel like fallout did several big stunt sequences. This one, that was it. That was the one. Wow. Mm. And th- there were, there were a bunch of fight scenes and stuff where they're doing fucking martial arts and, and all this stuff, but they, you know, once you've seen John Wick, Wick four, you can't go back. It stuff like, kind of doesn't impress that much anymore. And then, like you know, you find okay, finally we got to the big stunt scene, but they keep cutting away to like a not very interesting sequence on this train yep. and cutting back to him flying. It's like I don't. Uh, this That's, is just not. Just don't give a shit. It's yeah. not really well done. That's a bummer. I, so, I can tell you right now, without even seeing that scene, here's how you fucking do it. You show two guards on mm-hmm. that train having a conversation, and it's some droll bullshit about mm-hmm. the boss or whatever the fucking the entity sure why not yep. and then you hear a dunk and they're like the fuck was that then you hard cut to however many minutes before and then you show the full fucking tom yeah, cruise stunt uh-huh. and you match it up in your brain you're like oh shit he landed that was him fucking opens that door kicks those guards in fucking goes there you go i fixed it for you hollywood that's how you fucking do that kind of scene yep but or even the like like obviously like if you're doing that stunt, he's not landing on a moving train. That's yeah, yeah, like yeah. if you even show show his entire jump like all show the way the until arc. the very last point, then and then it. you cut to him like landing on the train. That's fine. 
but like they kept like they put it into it, there were like fucking dozens of cuts of this. It thing. was like uh, the scene in Taken Three. Uh, I don't know if you've seen Taken Three. But I have, but I don't remember any 16 of sixteen cuts to have Liam Neeson jump a fence. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, what it sounds like. Mr. Plow doesn't quite have it like he used to. Uh, uh, well, and I can imagine like the AI pieces and like the the just sheer idiocy that it sounds like came with that full explanation mm -hmm. especially given you and john having recently watched 2001 a space odyssey and <laughs> yeah. how well uh -huh. that movie handles just the whole concept of ai yep. and the fears that are legitimate regarding it like to have just something that just uses any buzzwords from the web3 slash blockchain slash crypto slash nft bullshit yep. sphere is just insulting to anybody that has any more than just a a functioning brainstem. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was like a god complex villain that was just like, oh, it's all the computers that have all the knowledge in the world and it's everywhere and blah blah. blah. It's like, okay, this is stupid as shit, and like you've set this thing up to be something that cannot physically be conquered yet. Like, of course, Tom Cruise is going to. Right. And but again, like it's just there. Like it's there. They talk about it a lot in as stupid a way as they possibly can. But then it's just like we gotta go fucking get this key. And oh, we that's a fake, and we gotta go to get this other key. And it's like this the whole fucking movie is about keys. And like, like, how is a fucking key gonna stop some sort of yeah. mythical ai being just, that is all powerful just and like, fuck it at that point just lean uh, full force into how schlock you can go and make it make at least some of the shit interesting even if it doesn't like uh, MacGuffins are one thing but just yeah. trying to go for the fucking swing for the fences with how stupid you can be do mm. some shit like like fast nine does not fast X <laughs> where Vin Diesel pulls down an, <laughs> yes. an entire like that, massive make, pillar system and beats up 20 dudes that yeah, are bigger than him. Make yeah. Ethan a God. Mm. <laughs> Why not? No, no, I, I want it to be, it's an old timey key. And in the second part, he goes to a server farm where the AI is running out of, yeah. and there's this like antiquated lock box and he opens it uh -huh. up and it's just a baseball bat and he just <laughs> wails up yeah. all, all the server he racks. Gets full Robert Shaw on it. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the plot of Dead Reckoning Part 2. Uh, I will say the, the the end of Dead Reckoning Part 1, basically, like, they tell... I don't know if it's a real tell or if it's a misdirect, but they tell you where, like, they have to go to use the key to get to the AI, and it's God. the stupidest fucking it's shit. Fucking it's just dumb. Oh, uh, my God. Um, <sighs> like... It's so stupid. Like, just go watch Fallout again. Like, don't watch this. It's really bad. Ugh. Tom Cruise doesn't even really seem that interested in it, despite the fact that there's that viral clip where he, like, yelled at some production assistant who wasn't wearing a mask while they were filming, <laughs> filming this during COVID. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, this was really, really fucking stupid, and I was very disappointed. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny is worse, oh, but okay. I expected that to be bad. <laughs> this movie, I was like, you're better than this. You should be good, and yet you're dog shit. And this is very upsetting to me. Anything so. redeeming about it, Dixon? Uh, I mean, like oh this the stunt where he jumps off the mountain is impressive. They just edit it horribly so it doesn't land the way it should. And like you can tell, like with Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, you can tell that no one gives a shit. No one wants to be there, and it's just stupid. And like you expect that that's what it is at this point. Harrison Ford just clearly wants to die and doesn't <laughs> want to exist anymore. And every moment of existence is agony for him. <laughs> like with this movie, you can tell that the people behind it actually care about what they're doing. They just are completely missing the mark, and it's mm. almost more upsetting that way because, like, it is better than Indiana Jones, but it is—it's very upsetting to see them miss the mark so badly. And like, Tom Cruise and Christopher McQuarrie have made a lot of action movies now that have been very good, and they keep making these, and they've done really well with them. And I don't know—I don't know how they fucked this up so badly. And you expect when Tom Cruise is producing his own movie that there's going to be a level of quality there that is going to make sense. And it's going to be at least like a solid B movie, you know, and this was just, this was awful. Yeah. Uh, they can't all be Tropic Thunder, Dixon. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. they can't. 
Um, so, you know, and like, you know, Ryan talks about how he hates Tom Cruise. Like I, I like Tom Cruise in this phase of his career where he's just like, I'm going to be the greatest stunt man that's ever lived. And like, I know what I'm getting out of it. I'm not getting eyes wide shut anymore from him. That's not happening, but like, I'm going to get an action movie that's made really well. That, that makes sense. That has all these badass stunts. That's really fun to watch in a theater. And I didn't get any of that with this, except for like the one stunt that was terribly edited and didn't work with the way they stitched into the movie. So it was just, it was just very disappointing overall. Mm. And yeah, no, I, 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 if I said that, it would be a spoiler. I'm, I'm not going to say the other thing. I've already spoiled quite a bit of this movie. That's right. But there is another thing that I feel like would be too much to say. So uh, there was another thing, another choice they made with a character that I didn't appreciate. But um, yeah. Don't gotcha. go see this movie. Um, just wait. Uh, you know, I haven't seen Oppenheimer or Barbie yet, but just like hold out until those. Maybe those will be good. You yep. know, don't go see yep. Mission Colon Impossible Dash Dead Reckoning Part One. Wait until the second part is out. Much like Fast X, just <laughs> skip uh, over and see yeah. the sequel <laughs> to finish it. Fast Fast X at least had like uh, you know some like comedy in it that worked. And some things that I enjoyed in it with this, yeah. I was just like, nope. Like I was rolling my eyes the whole time. Like it was so dumb. It was just so joyless that I, I was just, I couldn't get into Like this was con- to me, it was considerably worse than fast X yeah. idea to really just exhibit how much you hate these two part movies. Oh, take a friend to see one of them, the part one of one, oh. uh-huh. and then promise them the second part, but take them to one of the other movies, second parts, and just <laughs> act like <laughs> nothing yeah. is fucking wrong. <laughs> and it's like, well, some of these part ones are good. It still annoys me, but like, I liked Dune. I liked Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. Like, you yep. can do a part one that works. It's still going to fucking bother me when I leave the theater. Like, And it's like, you know, those movies didn't advertise that there were part one so it's like you know you get into dune and it's like dune and then part one you're like what the fuck is this and then you watch the movie you're like god damn there's another one of these and spider-man across the spider-verse you don't even know until the very end credits yep. and then they're like spider-man will be back in spider-man beyond the spider-verse like yeah. oh shit yeah um and so like they're not honest about it but at least they made good movies that are like entertaining to watch and worth yeah. sitting through um yeah i don't know why spider-man rebranded because they originally had it as a part one like when they very first announced it oh they were like oh it's part one and then they completely removed it and i even forgot when i went to see it that it was a part one yeah it's like how are they gonna wrap this shit up in 15 minutes oh they're not no they're not yeah Uh, (laughs) whatever yeah yeah well you got avatar 5 to look forward to oh god three four as well i can't wait to see what other animals talk unexplainedly with subtitles don't forget about the alita (laughs) battle angel three other movies that just got signed on or some shit holy shit just like i've got sequels lined up all around didn't the first one not do well uh something like that and then james cameron was like (laughs) i'm selling my 33 million dollar ranch because i'm spending more time shooting alita in austin and avatar and these other places and it's just like dude stop don't do these he's not things. directing those though, right? I think he is. Or Rodriguez or did the first Rodriguez one. did the first one, but I think Cameron is like heavily involved in. Oh, the, yeah. Well, no matter like mm. with either of them directing the next one, it's not going to necessarily guarantee it's going to be better. No. Uh, but yeah, um, how I, do we get Robert Rodriguez to just go back to making machete movies? How do we make that happen? seriously? Like, I would be okay <laughs> I with love that. Those movies, yeah, machete yeah. or fucking. I'll do another round of Grindhouse. I don't I give a like shit. A, sure, I want like a, a '90s Rodriguez. I want him back. Yeah, El well, Mariachi. Like Dust till dawn. Yeah, yeah Dust till dawn. El Mariachi. Uh, yeah, Desperado. I, like, I enjoy those more than the rest of his. You don't like the Danny like, Trejo action movies? All right, John. I mean, the first machete's okay. You know, we're now that I'm back in Austin, we can do a spy kids like marathon i have spy kids 3d oh, mark God. we can watch spy kids 3d it's the avengers end game dixon you're not going to come to our shark boy and lava girl movie night <laughs> no <laughs> well he won't come knowingly but oh, yes, we will course. promise if, dixon, are you going to tell me it's a machete marathon, marathon and i show up and it's different robert rodriguez we're not not mad. not 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 going to do that uh, <laughs> dixon we're watching first reformed and card counter and master gardener oh it's a trilogy God. series you're gonna be so suspicious now when i actually do that mm-hmm. and then i'm gonna sit alone and watch paul schrader films by myself because <laughs> you won't believe that, me that's <laughs> honestly the best way to watch that, paul yeah, schrader films a lone man in a room uh, yeah <laughs> 
Um, well, uh, so you'd refute this movie. Yes, very saying? hard refute. Oh, okay. uh, we've got two refutes in a row, uh, John. Take us home on a lighter note. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take us home um, in part two of this recommend a refute episode. Now I'm just fucking with you. <laughs> I'm fucking got you, everybody. You thought you thought hard we were doing that. John show. Garcia right. will return in the Spy Kids Marathon. <laughs> I'm gonna edit in the closing music. Okay, to that yeah, point yeah. I'm it. gonna start yeah. ramping it up. Yeah, it wraps it up for us, everybody. Really. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I have a recommend. It's, I mean, if Dixon watched it, I know it's probably going to be a refute. Uh, it's just, it's more, it's, I would say it's kind of a, it's a mixed bag really, but I recommend it. Uh, and I'm outright saying it. It's, it's very presumptuous of you, John. Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. Their names are legendary. Their destinies linked. An ageless myth meets an uncompromising master. Francis Ford Coppola brings an undying legend to life. Dracula. <laughs> Nineteen ninety-two. It has Keanu Reeves. It has Winona Ryder. It has uh, Gary Oldman. Dixon's favorite. Dixon loves Gary Oldman. Mm. Uh, <laughs> you can tell by that grunt that he's super excited to hear that he's in there. Uh, it's got Anthony Hopkins and Carrie Elwes. Uh, Richard from, E. Grant. Yeah, yeah. It's got like it's a pretty star-studded affair. Tom, Tom Waits, Waits is in it. Yeah, <laughs> as Renfield. Monica Bellucci. Um, yeah, t- and uh, it's. A, it's probably one of the most faithful uh, tellings of Ram Stoker's Dracula. It does a really interesting, I would say, outright. Um, Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder are bad in this movie. They're just bad actors. They're clearly oh, still trying to find sad. their way. Um, Keanu Reeves At is At least playing, they love each other. Yeah. Keanu Reeves is playing kind of like the Bill and Ted version of uh, the character. He's just like trying to do a British accent the whole time, but he can't. Oh no. And so like, there's a whole scene where he's talking to, to fucking Dracula about it. And he's like, oh, I've seen things like wolves in the night. And <laughs> just like that kind of shit. That just sounds it's like Keanu Reeves. It doesn't yeah, sound like Keanu he, trying to do a but, British But then he accent. says bloody at the end of it. So it's British. <laughs> Bloke. Um, yeah. He <laughs> does that kind of shit. Uh, and Winona Wright is also kind of trying to do that British thing, but she just doesn't, neither of them really land it. Um, the person who's giving it is always Gary Oldman, who is shape-shifting throughout the film. He's, uh, like old Dracula. He goes to young Dracula. He goes to like, there's a whole werewolf aesthetic that he has at one point. And then he has like the, even the earliest, like Vlad Dracula, where he is fighting in a war. Um, the main thing that's fucking great about this movie is the style. Francis Ford Coppola is just over here flexing his film muscle like trying to make every scene so engaging and have this kind of visual composition that you can't find you. Okay. I I would liken this to you think about like Bella Lugosi's Dracula where it's like, we need to show Mm -hmm. like a castle and we need to show, you know, the matte paintings in the background and have of course earlier times. But, um, here it's like they use projectors to actually uh, they'll project images onto people. They'll project uh, they do rear projection on certain sets like classical style for the filmmaking to tell the mm-hmm. story. They have a whole sequence where uh, Keanu Reeves is on a train and he's writing his journal. He's out to see Dracula and um, he's going to see him the first time meet him. And they built this big ass book to be in the foreground of the shot, to be his diary while they show the train in the distance riding across oh, the cool. screen hmm. and the shadow is just on the book because they actually lit it from the back. It's just got all of these film techniques in it that are so fucking rad. Like Gary Oldman stabs a cross at the very beginning and the cross just starts bleeding fucking everywhere. And it's just gushing blood in this room and he's renouncing God. And like all of the shit is so bombastic and dramatic and it has the big set pieces that like you would find in kind of a Gothic Tim Burton sort of aesthetic, but they're all done in this like really amazing style that 
you can tell um, that, that Coppola wanted to put so much into it uh, to make it visually engaging uh, and fun. And then you have all of these actors who just kind of like don't really know why they're there. They're trying to do something that it's just weird casting choices. It feels like they picked Keanu Reeves because he was hot at the time. They're like, <laughs> let's do this. He's so hot right great. now. Yeah, yeah. So hot right now. And Winona Ryder as well. Um, and it really, the thing that I liked about it is it's not, I've seen Twilight. I've seen so many other, yeah. mm. uh, uh, vampire films recently that are, you just shuddered Mark. Yeah. yeah. Just so sorry. Cold. <laughs> 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 <sighs> Can't do it back. No. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like modern vampire films, uh, even if they portray the vampire as being a dramatic character who is like, I'm a tortured soul. It's this fucking weird emo bullshit where you know exactly how the movie's going to end and it's either the vampire is going to be in love or the vampire is going to be dead. Um, and this one it rides that line where like narratively, I thought it was going for. Uh, I forgot how it ended and I thought that it was going to go for this traditional Keanu Reeves is the hero of the film and all of this stuff. And it really doesn't try to play with that at all. It, it tries to stick to exploring Dracula as a dramatic figure. He's a villain, but he's also so tragic. And the things that have happened to him, like the whole film starts with his wife committing suicide because he went to war, killed a shit ton of people. And the people that he killed, I think it's like the Turks. They came and like shot an arrow into his window in the castle that said your husband's been murdered and here's the proof. And she just commits suicide. It's Shakespearean. Mm. And then it goes from there into modern times, modern being like, you know, like 19th century England sort of thing. Um, and they have all these really fucking cool set pieces. Keanu Reeves gets seduced by several vampiruses or whatever the fuck they're called in this bed. That's clearly like made out of like gears in motion to surface them through the sheets. Like oh, the cool. bed sunken into a way where you just see the full surface and then suddenly women come out of it. And you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like they did this all practically and it's never just, happened with hmm. my bed. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, I watched it with Sasha because she was like, I want to watch a horror movie. I want to watch something scary. And I was like, why don't we watch? It's not really scary, but let's watch this. And the entire movie, she was like, Oh, I really like that. Oh, that was really cool. She was also like, Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder are just fucking awful. I'm like, they're just doing a terrible job. But immediately she'd be like, oh, I like whatever this is. I like these parts of it. Like, there's so much to love in it if you're actually scanning the frames for it. But the performances are the real detriment here. Like, everything else about it, just Coppola flexing all over the screen. It's yeah. fun. So. How's the soundtrack? Soundtrack, the score, very dramatic, classic kind of Hollywood composition sticks in your brain. I would say there's a lot of like themes that you pick up on as you're going. And I just, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I had a good time with the, the, the way that it was scored. Um, it wasn't one of those like Marvel where I'm not going to remember it. There's, I can't like sing the tunes to you, but I do. It sticks in my brain now. Like I, I'm gonna, it's going to be a while before I forget it. So, um, and they also did like certain animations like they show big battles at the very beginning with puppets in a way not like team america puppets but they have like a whole kind of diorama of these like paper cutout silhouettes that are fighting in the background of certain scenes all stylistically just just embellishing itself like it's so cool to see those creative touches rather than it's a bunch of dudes running at each other kind of thing. Like every choice here feels like it's just made to test a certain artist and how they can represent this from the book and the train to the way these armies are to like the, the there's certain scenes where they're walking around London and they're still trying to show um, like Gary Oldman, uh, you know, Dracula doesn't have a reflection and they play with that in certain sequences. And like, it's cool to see how they're pulling it together. But yeah. Um, nice. Yeah. Yeah, I uh so I really like Coppola, but I I've seen like the ones that you're supposed to see as a <laughs> film nerd. You know, I've seen the all three Godfather movies. The first two, you know, are incredible, and the third one is the best. Less so. <laughs> uh, and I, I fucking love Apocalypse Now and The Conversation. And you know, so I like I've seen the ones that you're supposed to see. Um I wanna delve into more of his filmography. I haven't heard seen Bram Stoker's Dracula. I've heard mixed things about it. And like, I'm curious to check it out, but it also just seems kind of campy and dumb from, from the outside. Yeah. And I'm like, man, like if only Francis had cast his nephew 
Nicolas Cage as Dracula. Yep. I would be all over that shit. <laughs> yeah, I, I would I would even welcome uh, you know, Nick Cage to be Jonathan Harkin, like to to replace oh, the Keanu character. That'd be interesting, yeah. Um because it would be amazing to see him get uh, savaged by women in a bed and try to freak out about it. Because that's what Jonathan oh, Harkin yeah. basically does. So it's like, all right, yeah, sure. I mean, Keanu's- he would bring the right, like, you know, silent movie aesthetic to it that Keanu is probably not capable of. Yeah. yeah. There's also, like, one of the reasons why I thought about this movie is because there was that, like, it's made the rounds every so often on YouTube. And I've seen several videos about it, too. But, like, Gary Oldman having, like, a breakdown on set where he just gets pissed off because uh, Coppola's direction is like, you just go to the stairs and you come down the stairs and Keanu is here. And he's like, well, what's my like motivation? What's my direction? Coppola just won't tell him. Yeah. And he just gets pissed off and storms away. And people every so often resurface that and be like, well, look at this. They had like production trouble on set and whatever. And it's like, no, it's just like a creative disagreement that like subsides. Like Gary Oldman still yeah. gives it his all. He still does a great job. Coppola's um, pulling some Rob, Robert Brisson shit there. There you go. Yeah. yeah. He's just like, just do it. Yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, like those parts of it are, I don't know. I I liked a lot of the drama and the way that the story unfolds. And honestly, because I went into it with different expectations about how it ended, I thought it ended differently. When it ended, I felt, I was like, oh, that was not what I expected. And it was kind of in the best way where I was like, cool. They didn't just have, you know, Keanu be the end all be all hero. There's like a climactic sequence and there's a bunch of other stuff. But Winona Ryder herself has a shit ton of agency. The character has a lot of agency trying to decide whether she actually loves uh, Jonathan Harker. That's the character's name. Or whether she's in love with Dracula, who like seduces her at one point. Mm. But it becomes this real question of like, you know, ties to, you know, is there really romance between us in this old English kind of hierarchy and structure where people marry for money and that kind of shit? Or is there something else in like a real true love and a real romance that's undying? Um, And I thought that that was really cool. Uh, Sasha was all about it. She thought it was uh, one of the most erotic films that she's seen in a while. Oh. Uh, she she was like, this is very steamy. Um, and, and it was just like, there's a lot of sequences of people licking blood off other people and stuff. It's kind of weird in that way, but also like there's something sensual about it that like just gets channeled into the frames. Yeah, I could see that as a nineties version of, because I've seen the, I've seen Nosferatu mm-hmm. and I've seen the 31 Dracula. And so like, I, I can see how they could take that and make it, very sensual in a, in a modern context and have that be interesting. Also, I love the vampires have, um, prosthetic teeth that are animatronic or like they oh. are. So like everybody opens their mouth and you watch the fangs actively come out. Like it's not CGI. It's full practical. Oh, that's cool. And it's pretty fucking rad to see it. And when people are like turning into the vampires, they're the like teeth loading start surfacing their teeth a little bit. into, yeah, yeah, basically they'll like rear back and it's like, chick, 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 and they just uh. come out and you're like, Ooh, that's fucking creepy. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of that. There's also, uh, a, a Texan in it, uh, that is stereotypically oh. played like uh, the rich Texan from the Simpsons has a cowboy and he comes out and he's just like, Oh, thank you, ma'am. Like he's got the cowboy hat on yeah. and everything. And he's like, my yeah. God, you're, you're, you're sweltering like a peach on a summer day. And like, whatever yeah. the fuck uh, he says shit like that. And you're just like, all right, <laughs> fucking puppy breaks. Incredible. Here. <laughs> I assume he gets killed in a brutal way. Uh, I think. I think he does. Yes, I think he does. Oh, I, can't I assume remember. that would be a memorable There's killing. There's a few moments where, well, he gets knocked over a few times and he still somehow continues to hold on to his repeater and fucking like goes uh. after whatever the fuck. Um, yeah, there's like a trio of suitors for a woman that like join forces and he's one of them to fight off Dracula. It's kind of like this little ensemble too. That's, that's fun. It happens in the middle of the movie, but hmm. um, Interesting. yeah. So a lot of it that I found really entertaining. It's not a great movie from like story and acting. Like they both kind of clash with each other, but the actual film techniques on display just, I think merit a watch like a single watch at least. Um, so yeah. Interesting. John, I have a very important question for you. Have you watched vampires kiss yet? No, I've not watched Vampire's Kiss yet. <sighs> I haven't even watched. I well, you'll be glad to know I didn't watch Renfield yet either because I'm gonna watch Vampire's Kiss and I'm not gonna probably watch Renfield. But yeah, you know, uh, at least I didn't do that. Probably backwards. the best decision. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Why didn't you buy me that instead of Willy's Wonderland, Dixon? That's my reverse question. Ooh, well, I, no, that was when I was buying you modern schlock. Oh, that's I was true. Giving you a bunch Nick Cage of schlock. Nick Cage movies from the past <laughs> several years. I thought you like, you oh, would... I love schlock. And I was like, here, watch this. Um, yeah, you like you like pig. You like schlock. Here's a bunch of Nicholas <laughs> Cage like, garbage. Yeah, you like pig. You like schlock. You like beef. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Um, but anyways, yeah, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, Francis Ford Coppola's film in the the early '90s. I would recommend it. It was uh, an interesting, wild time, and it's one of those where, like, I'm not gonna watch it again for a little while, but it was still cool to watch and like pick apart while I was, I was like, Oh, that's neat. That's neat. Everything about it just frame wise stuck out. Yeah. It sounds like it would, it at least be interesting to watch at, at, at minimum. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of production value put into it. I can't remember what Francis Ford Coppola did after if he did anything at all, but I feel like it was one of those like last movies he did before he kind of, I mean, he's a director who has kind of always been doing things, but like he's so under the radar at this point. And like now He's just pouring his entire personal wealth into, I forget what the movie is called, but like everybody in Hollywood is in it. And he's spending like a hundred million dollars of his personal money to make a movie now because no studio will give him any money anymore. Jeez. Um, which is crazy. Like one of the greatest filmmakers who has ever lived. Um, even if it's, even if like you only judge him by his peaks, like he has made Godfather, Godfather 2, Apocalypse Now, The Conversation. Like those are four of the, greatest american films that have ever been made and but like the most recent of those four was 1979 and he's still making movies and like i've heard rumblefish is really good i haven't seen that like i, I i'm sure he's done other work that is worth watching Ooh. but um, rumblefish was like 82 yeah. um like it's it's been a while since he's done anything he's got a lot of acclaim i think he did a, a movie with joaquin phoenix in like the mid 2000s um but yeah he he hasn't done much in the past 30 years, really since Bram Stoker's Dracula that has gotten very much, uh, you know, uh, revenue. So, uh, he did a movie with Val Kilmer. He did a movie with Tim Roth in like two thousands. Okay. Um, he directed Jack. Do you know what Jack is? Simple Jack? No, not simple Jack. This is the one with Robin Williams, right? This is the one with Robin Williams. Oh. Where uh, Jack Powell suffers from an affliction that makes him grow four times faster than normal. It's the reverse Benjamin Button. Yes. Um, So the 10-year-old looks like Robin Williams. Uh, That's the the premise of the movie. That was what he directed. It's big. After Dracula. It's big, but with like a a grounded reality, I guess. Um, Sure. Yeah. Um, At least Um, Tom Hanks isn't in it. Am I right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like Coppola's career after, you know, the, the movies that you talk about, the movies that like film nerds watch is pretty spotty. Um, Bram made a movie in 2009 called Tetro that stars Joaquin Phoenix. There you go. 65 Metascore. Okay. I was like, maybe that one's all right. It stars Joaquin Phoenix. Who knows? But, But, um, yeah, like Bram Stoker's Dracula again, story-wise it's, probably one of the most faithful if i had to guess for for like how it goes the the way the story is told doesn't feel like it had any hollywood schmaltz like poured all over it um the acting between uh from keanu reeves and winona writer is is obviously they still have quite a ways to go uh in what they're doing maybe it's the direction who knows um gary oldman's given it his all and from a theater like from a production standpoint it just has phenomenal props and effects and it's always messing with how it can represent creatively the passage of time, characters traveling, characters uh, undergoing like different kinds of seduction or other things happening in it. It's all super stylized. And that makes it well recommend for me. Like it's just really from that point, engaging and entertaining. It's weird and wild to, to watch. Gotcha. So. I stand corrected. That movie that I thought starred Joaquin Phoenix, the poster looks like Joaquin Phoenix and it's not. It's someone named Vincent Gallo. Well, so there you go. You know, who knows if that movie is good, but the poster is the spitting image of Joaquin Phoenix. And I always thought it was him in that movie. Uh, yeah, so. I definitely, I can see that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, uh, I think that that wraps it up. I did not, uh, carry us through to three ref- refutes, three refutes. Thank so, God we had one yeah. recommend. There was one recommend. 
Um, yeah, it did have a few qualifiers thrown into it, but I still think anybody who goes into Bram Stoker's Dracula is going to come out and be like, that was fucking weird. And it sticks with them. Mm. So, uh, but for us who love to study the frame and how the filming is done, it's got a lot of cool shit to look into. Uh, and with that, uh, we will draw this episode to a close. We have a refute from Mark for Sing. I assume Sing 2. Have you been subjected to that as well, Mark? Yes, I have. He closed his <laughs> eyes in a way that looked like that Ben Affleck meme where he's smoking outside. That just reminded me of it. Sorry. And Mark. holding <laughs> J-Lo's ass, but still looking <laughs> depressed as fuck. <laughs> yes, that's right. Geely Ben Affleck. <laughs> Uh, we have a refute from Dixon for the new Mission Impossible movie. Mission colon impossible dash dead reckoning part one. Mission came out Don't of a bother. colon impossible. Yeah. <laughs> All the punctuation. The fu- <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like a password. It's super secure. But I it's thought terrible. about talking about an Ozu film this week. And like, oh, I watched this wonderful Ozu film. And I'm like, no one cares. I'm just going to shit on the new blockbuster. <laughs> <laughs> See, you should have done a Trojan Ozu film here and just Mm. been like, you know what a better film than this is? But you missed your chance to hijack and break the rules, you maverick renegade. (laughs) Next time. (laughs) Uh, And then we have a recommend from me for Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, If you love Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder, no matter what, then I guess you'll enjoy it. If you love the film techniques that are at play, the style of it, you'll enjoy it. Um, Hell, if you love bad british accents you're definitely gonna love it uh it's great to see that um but as so, kanye west says this a ghetto opera francis ford cacopola <laughs> <laughs> true words have never been spoken by the bard uh, <laughs> uh thank you all for joining us i've been your host john garcia with us our, our westwards guest mark garcia yeah and uh michael dixon thanks for putting up with our bullshit Hey there, movie buffs, TV toughs, and all listeners in between. John here from the Afterthoughts Podcast. I just wanted to drop in at the end of this episode and say thanks for listening. If you've got afterthoughts of your own to share, hit us up. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Afterpod, or jump into a conversation on our Discord server. You can find info for this and more at theafterpod.transistor.fm. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode.